Ezra chapter 4 concludes with these words. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. For 16 years, the people and the leaders of the land have been discouraged from those who had lived in the land, discouraging them from building the temple. They are doing things to frustrate their plans. Chapter, the early part of chapter 4 reveals all the difficulties of what they were up against and what they were enduring. In chapter 5, verse 1 of Ezra reveals two prophets being sent by God and coming on the scene. Haggai and Zechariah appear and they come in the name of the Lord and proclaim to them the need to get to work. We spent the last three weeks talking about what Haggai had told them, which was, your priorities are in the wrong place. You are prioritizing your paneled houses rather than prioritizing uh, the building of the temple. You will need to turn back to God and God will bless you. God will be with you and he will carry you through if you will rise up and do the work. It is my hope in a few weeks to do Zechariah with you so that you can see what Zechariah was saying at the time, the revelation of the Old Testament, if you will, of these amazing visions. And yet Zechariah's messages are very important as an encouragement to the people to rise up and build and do this work. And you'll notice in, in verse two that this is exactly what happens. In Ezra five and verse two, we're told that Zerubbabel and Joshua arise to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them and they were supporting them. And so here the work is, is, is undertaken and things are, are, are going and they're to going to do, do this work. But one of the things that I want you to see though is it's not that anything had changed over the last 16 years. Notice immediately after they do this that you have in verse 3, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and, and Shethar Boznai and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? And they also asked them this, What are the names of, of, of the men who are building this building? So I want us to, to notice that, remember that they had stopped the work because of resistance. And I don't want you to think that Haggai and Zechariah come in and they're not proclaiming a message that is, hey, okay, the resistance has died down. Now it's okay to go ahead and do the work. That's not the message. Their message is to do the work anyway. And I want you to see in these first uh, three verses that that's exactly what is happening is that the resistance is still there. In fact, listen to what they had said. The first thing that says, who gave you permission to do this? Who told you that you could get back to work? This is supposed to stop. You're not supposed to do this. So who gave you the decree to build this house and to finish the structure? And if that may not have been intimidating enough, I think the next one certainly is. And now I want all your names. You know, that was the worst thing in school. It would, the teacher said, okay, give me your name. You know you're done. And, and that's what they're doing right here. Who gave you permission and I want names? Tell me all your names, all the people who are doing this work because we're going to send the message back to the king of Persia about what you're doing around here. 
And so immediately there is this resistance that that is even in force. And so please see that things are not better. Things are not easier. It's not that the resistance has gone away. Also, please notice it's not just two guys walking up and saying, hey, what are you doing? Please notice in verse three, we're told this is the governor of the land. This is the guy who was appointed by the king of Persia to be in charge of this region. The governor of the land comes up to them and says, what do you think you're doing? Who gave you a decree to do this? And I want your names because I'm reporting it back to the king. Pretty tough. And I would think pretty frightening to have this kind of resistance arise against them. But I want you to notice A different response this time. Verse 5 is really our key text that we'll come back in and out of. But verse 5 is a very important statement. Verse 5 says, But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Last time... When the resistance came up, they stopped. This time, when the resistance comes up, they keep working. And in fact, I want you to notice the terminology that's there. The eye of God was on them. Here is God being with them, just as Haggai said would happen if they would get back to the work. God says, I am with you and I'm going to bless you. And already you're seeing that happen. Please consider that God being with them didn't mean there would be no resistance. The resistance is still there. But God is with them as they continue to do the work and they continue to push through the resistance. Now, if you look at your Bibles there, you'll notice from really verse 6 to the end of the chapter is a description of the letter that is sent back to the king of Persia. You'll notice in the, in the first, from verse 6 to verse 9, or verse 10, here it tells us this is the copy of the letter that the governor and the other leaders sent back to the king of Persia and telling him everything that was going on. You'll notice in verse 8, we saw them building this house to the great God and the work is going on diligently. It prospers in their hands. Verse 9, we went up to them and said... Uh, who who gave you the right to do this decree in verse 10 to give us your name? Basically, they just write a letter and say, here's what we saw and here's what we said. And so they now write a letter back to the king. And in this letter, what is really interesting and what is really instructive is it reveals what the people and what the leaders are saying to the governor and to the resistance. Notice what they write as their reply, verse 11. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people of Babylon to Babylonia. However, 
In the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt, and the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to him, Take these vessels, Go and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Seshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been, it is, it has been in building, and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king, For the rebuilding of the house of God in Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. So they say, here's what they told us. We went to them and we said, who gave you a decree to do this? And what are your names? And now we're sending you a letter. And I want you to notice that there was ultimately two responses that the people gave. First response was this. We're servants of God. That's their first point that they're going to make. We are servants of God. I think that is an interesting answer because they don't say, well, we are Persians or we are Judeans. They don't say that they are uh, servants of King Darius. They say, we are servants of God. And there is an implied message by saying that, which is, we have authority from God. We're servants of God and we are here to do this work. It has been given to us by the God of heaven and earth. And he ultimately is our authority and he is the one who has given us the permission to do this work. And so I think in short, you would be able to say that their first answer was the same as what the apostles said. We must obey God rather than men. We're servants of God. This is the task that's been given to us. And we must come and do that. Our allegiance is first to the work of the Lord. Second, you will notice is that then they appeal to their rights. After declaring their allegiance to God, they say, and Cyrus said that we could go about doing this. He allowed for this. He said to take the treasures, come back here and build the building. And so they used two things. One, we're servants of God. We've been given a task. And two, the prior king said it was okay for us to do this. And so that is our answer to you. I think it is useful to note that there is nothing about what they say that is defiant, ugly, ungodly, or inflammatory. They just simply say, we are servants of God and we're going to do this work. And by the way, Cyrus said we could do it. That's our answer. Simple as that. Nothing else needed to be said. We're going to do God's work. And that's exactly then what they offer at this this very moment. And then you'll notice in the reading, the chapter ends with the governor and the leaders then asking the king to search the royal records to see... Is this really true? They have said that there was a Cyrus who said that they could do this. Search the royal records and see, did that decree actually occur? Well, in chapter 6, terrible chapter break. Chapter 6 is the answer to that. You have Darius the king. And now he makes a decree in verse 1 to search Babylonia, search the archives 
where the documents are stored and try to see if those things are true. And in verse 3, they find that in the first year of of Cyrus king, he made a decree for them to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the house all laid out there in verse 3 and verse 4. Not only that in verse 5 about all the gold and silver vessels in the house of God, just like the people had said. So now watch what happens in verse 6. Now, therefore, here's, here's Darius's answer. Now, therefore, Tantani, governor of the province beyond the river, and Sherthar, Boznai, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river and whatever is needed. Bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Well, there's an answer. (laughs) You have the opposition come in and say, who said you could do this? And I want all your names. I'm sending a letter back to the king and he's going to find out about this. And the king does find out about it, searching the royal archives and finds that's exactly what Cyrus had told them to do. And amazingly then gives this response in turn, essentially flipping the tables and now saying, not only do I want you to leave them alone and let them do the work, you need to fund the work. You need to give them everything they need from the royal revenue of the land beyond the river. So their treasury over there and whatever animals they need and whatever supplies they need to be able to offer sacrifice before God, you need to give them that as well. What an amazing turnaround. What an amazing reversal that happens here. In fact, it is such a reversal that you will notice in verse 14 that it says that they are able to finish the building by the decree of the God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of, of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king just gives them a couple more years and they end up finishing the work that was given to them. You'll even notice in verse 18, the people are able to restore temple worship. And in verses 19 through 21, you will read them keeping the Passover as they are now able to complete the work, finish the temple, offer sacrifices before God and keep the festivals again. 
Now, here's what I want us to observe. We're going to make some points from this text as we think about what's just happened here. And one of the big things that I think God is trying to show us in these two chapters is the thing that looked like a reason to be afraid and to quit was actually the path to success. Who wouldn't have been terrified when the governor and the other leaders came up to them and said, who said you could do this? And I'm writing your name down. It's you and you and you. And that's going back to the king. And the thing that would have caused them to want to quit. The reason that you'd say, well, we need to stop the working because the governor is, 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 is asking us what's going on and is challenging our right to do this. Ends up turning to be the reason why they will be successful. And I think that's important for us to think about because it is so easy for us to look at hardships, to look at resistance, to look at our difficulties as a reason for fear and to quit working. And that was the challenge here. In fact, for 16 years, that's exactly what these people had done. In the face of the fear and the resistance, they had not done the work. But now this time when they come with the resistance, they continue to do the work. And so I want us to see that you have this picture of the hardship what turned out to be the pathway for success. And all that they needed to do was work past that difficulty. To work through that resistance, to continue to do the work that God had given them to do. And he ultimately have them saying, we're going to keep working. You send the letter back and we're going to keep doing this work and put it on them about what they're going to do about it. Let them search the royal record. But we are servants of God and we have a work that must be done. And I think this is beautiful because there is such a temptation to stop serving when it's hard such a temptation to quit when life gets tough when there is resistance when we're in trials when things get so hard it is so easy to want to lay it down and quit and what we might be missing we just might be missing is that this opportunity for fear and this temptation to quit might actually be the path to success. In fact, I think it is so interesting that a message that we have seen from Haggai, from the earlier part of Ezra, uh, tell me, tell me how, how many times have I, have I said this to you now that we keep seeing this truth, that God can reverse your condition. Here it is again. And right in the face of the resistance, all hope looks lost. The letter's going back to the king. This isn't going to turn out well. We think Persia's against us, but actually you have a reversal and the reversal is so unthinkable. Would you have ever thought that the people who are saying, now give us your names and who said you could do this will now have to be the ones to support they're going to have to be the helpers. They're going to have to actually fund the work. They're not going to come back and say, you just tell us whatever you need and we're going to give it to you. <laughs> if you need some resources, okay. You need some money, okay. You need something for the offerings, okay. We're going to do that. And what you ultimately see is that this is the hand of God. Chapter 6, verse 22 
And they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king. What a picture. From fear, from adversity and hardship, all turns into the opportunity for joy. Because God was with them, And because they continued to do the work, just like Haggai had told them to, Haggai said, you get back to work. God's going to be with you. God's going to watch out for you. He's going to take care of it. They trust in that message. They trust in God and God reverses the condition. God reverses the situation and is able then to bless them. In fact, there is something really amazing about how all this happens. The wording of verse 22 Not only does it say, for the Lord had made them joyful, but it also says he had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God. Now, let's put our finger here for a minute, because this is a a passage where people jump out a window and go, king of Assyria. Okay, so the Bible's full of inaccuracies and we've got the wrong king because it's in the wrong time frame. And doesn't the writer know that it's the king of Persia, even though he said Persia just a little bit earlier, but he's lost his mind now at this moment. And now he's talking about the king of Assyria. And a really important reason why he's talking about the king of Assyria in this moment The king of Assyria, if you remember and you look at Israel's history, that Assyria is the first nation to come up against Israel and to take them off the land and take them captive. Assyria does it first. They're this first resistance. Babylon does it next. They're the one to take the southern nation and bring about this resistance. And now Persia is the arm of resistance, the world nation at large. And using then the imagery of Assyria is to speak not that we would read this and go, oh, yay for the people that the king of Persia's heart was changed. But to make the point that God can turn the hearts of any world power or any world leader to do his will because it's in his hand. And that's why he uses Assyria. It is a representation of a world power that now a world power that was originally against God's people has now been turned by God's hand to be for God's people. And so it's taken out of Persian idea to pull back and go, God does this at all times for all generations with all nations. And he can do that very thing. Let me give you some of the passages that remind us of that. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1 gives us a great visual. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. You thought about that one? Who's in charge? (laughs) Here's God going... I've got the mind and the heart of the king and I'll turn it when I want to, which is exactly what's happening right here. Persia has been resisting them for 16 years. And now God goes, no. 
And that's what verse 22 is saying. He turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God. You know, Daniel wrote that down about that as well, because it was something Nebuchadnezzar had to understand. In Daniel chapter four, verse 31, hereafter you have this, uh, this, um, how shall I say what Nebuchadnezzar did? Arrogant words, that fair, arrogant words about his kingdom and his might and his rule and all that he's built and all that he accomplished. And while the words were still in his mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time. Now watch. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. Here's Nebuchadnezzar going, I'm the reason I'm in charge. I'm the grand poobah. And look at my place and look at my palace and look at my stuff and look at my nation. I'm the greatest nation in the world at that time. And he was. And God comes in and goes, only because I said so. Only because I said so. And takes him off that throne, makes him live in the backyard eating grass until he realizes that that's the case. That until then, until he understands that God rules over every human nation, every single one. And he decides who's in charge. That's what God's putting forward here. Is that for 16 years, you had a ruler standing against God's people and God's work. And at any moment, God can turn that and go, now he'll be for you. God is in charge of that. God has rule over that. God is the one who is in charge of the heart of a king, the heart of a ruler, a heart of a leader. He is in charge over human nations. He is in charge over human kingdoms. Now, I hope a question is coming to you at this moment, like it came to me at this moment as I'm looking at this. And let's just keep it to the context of Ezra 5 and 6, but feel free to apply it all over the place in the world today. So why doesn't God just make all the leaders favorable to his people? Why the 16 years of resistance? (laughs) Do these people a favor. They have sacrificed everything. They left their homes. They've left Persia. They've left everything about life. Most of them had never been to Jerusalem before. And here they come back with great expense and sacrifice have come back. So God, if you can turn the heart of the king at any moment to be favorable to God's people, why did you make it for 16 years that it wasn't favorable? And now finally it is. Now, I feel like I could give you a lot of answers to that. But for the sake of time, I'll just talk about one. And I think it's one of the big ones that comes up again and again in the scriptures. And it's exactly what Haggai was talking about. Difficulty reveals how much you want something. What Haggai say? Haggai had come to them and said, you were content in your houses. You really don't want God. 
You really don't want to do the work. You don't want God to be your priority. You're comfortable. And so long as God's work remains in shambles and you're comfortable in your homes. Remember what God said through Haggai? You're not going to be satisfied. Nothing's going to come from your hands. It's not going to go well for you. Put God first. And God said, I'll make things change. What we have is a test of our faith and such an important question for us to ask that God is constantly challenging us, challenging all people at all times. Is God worth pushing through the fear so that we will obey him? Is God worth pushing through the trials and the hardship and the pain so that we can still serve him? Is he worth it to us or not? That is the big question that God is putting forward. Remember, that was the ultimate question that Satan is putting to God in regards to Job. Does Job serve God for nothing or because you protect him and give him good stuff and make him prosper and comfortable and relaxed? That is always the test that is going on in the heavenly places. Will we push through the hardship? Will we push through the fear? Will we push through how uncomfortable it is? Will we push through the inconvenience and push through those times and still obey God and still serve God? That is the big question that stands before us. That was what was being put before the people. When the people turned their hearts to God, look at what happened. Boom. But for 16 years, it was about them. For 16 years, it was about their houses. They weren't putting God first. God was not the priority. And so the resistance remained. I think this is so important to see that a picture that we have of God being sovereign over these things. And friends, this is why we don't panic, but instead turn to God in prayer and we put things in his hands because he can turn the heart of a leader at a moment's notice. Friends, this is why the Apostle Paul said, first of all, I urge petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving made for everyone, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That it's in the hand of God. Whether we will be able to serve him under resistance or we will serve him under peace. And being able to have the freedom to do as we do now. That's in the hand of God. That's what Paul is saying. Pray, if we're talking about us. That this tranquil, quiet life continues so that we can continue to reach people. Unfortunately, we read this and we kind of make it read this way. We need to pray for those who are in authority so that we can live a tranquil and quiet life so that we can rest in our homes and be comfortable and relax and have our prosperity, you know. And we wouldn't want to lose anything, right? We're very comfortable and rich. It's not the reason why we pray it. But it is a desire that we would have opportunity So he says, it's in God's hands. And you never know what God is doing in those moments. As he's moving pieces around, bringing about judgments for the people of God and for his will. 
amazing scene that has unfolded for us right here in chapter 6. That at a moment's notice, God can turn and make things completely different. And thus we show that we are going to obey God and serve God no matter what the resistance is. One final piece. One more piece of good news that I see from this text. Please remember that it is these people that for 16 years have failed. For 16 years they have failed. For 16 years they've put their priorities and their comfort and their desire first. But even after the 16 years, 16 years... I mean, I'm not great at math, but that's, you know, imagine like since 2006, a long time, they had not been choosing God. But after 16 years, they turned back to God and got to work. It is such an important reminder for us that our past failures do not mean that we cannot be servants of God today. And you could have blown it for 16 years, like these people. And that doesn't mean you cannot turn back to God and get back to work today. Failure does not need to be the end of our story, but actually the beginning of our story in turning back to God. When the resistance rose up this time, they responded and did not stop the work. And I hope that we would just consider ourselves if we have failed in terms of caving into our fears, failing to do the work because there is resistance, because it's hard, or because we are going through personal difficulties, because we are going through trials, that these are times that we can learn from those failures so that next time we can succeed. And I believe the reason for the success of the people as recorded for us in chapter 6 is because when they had this resistance come up this time, their words make it clear, we are servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago. We are here to do this work. Essentially what they do is they say, we're going to continue the work and we're going to put it in God's hands. Friends, that's the essence of faith. You and I just keep doing the work and we leave the rest in the hands of God. We put it in God's hands and he can turn events and he can turn leaders and he can flip situations and he can reverse conditions. But we put it in the hands of God. Now, as we do that, the world's not going to understand our devotion to God. Talked a little bit about that this morning. They're not going to get it. They're going to be like, why do you keep serving this God? Just, you know, take a break a little bit. You know, why do you just, it's not a big deal. You know, it's like a hobby, right? You just lay off a little bit. They're not going to understand. That's okay. Let them not understand. We understand the work that has been given us to do because we are servants of God of heaven and earth. And we have been charged with the task. We've been charged with the task to worship him and to serve him. And we will do so whether government allows it or not, whether people encourage us or people discourage us, whether it's easy or whether it is hard. That's how we resist the resistance. 
is we keep doing the work and we leave it in the hands of God and let God sort it out. And we can be amazed that you would think after these 16 years, the people, when that when those leaders came to them, they probably would have thought, oh, no. Well, so much for the restart of our work. It's all going to get shut down again. And God turned that situation, turned the heart of the king and made it different. We must have the faith to believe that God is watching over us and we do not stop in the process. Ezra chapter five and verse five. I said that's the hub of it. To keep these words in your heart and mind. But the eye of their God was on them. And they did not stop doing the work. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father. It is amazing to think about. Your complete rule over the nations of the world, over leaders and kings. And Lord, we pray that we would be instruments who are able to do the work before you. That we would not allow discouragement to stop us from worshiping you or serving you. We would never allow any resistance to get in our way of doing what you have called us to do. And Lord, we know you have power over all situations. We know you are in charge of so many things. And Lord, we know and can stand and be amazed of how your hand is able to bring about judgments on the wicked. And how you are able to uphold the innocent and the righteous. We pray that that would continue. That we would see your powerful hand at work against evil. We would see your powerful hand at rescue for those who are innocent, for those who are downtrodden, for those who are weak, and for those who seek you. Lord, we love the God that you are. You are a God of justice and righteousness. We pray that you would bring that through all the earth. Lord, we pray that we would be instruments of that, that we could show your goodness and your right ways and show that your ways are just, right, and fair and no other ways are. And Lord, we pray that if we have failed you as we know we have so many times in caving into opposition, rejection, resistance, that Lord, you'd forgive us and Lord, make us stronger to be ready for the next time so that we would not shrink back from our great confession that you are our God, that you are God of heaven and earth, and we are your children. We pray this through your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. The singing invitation song, we invite you to come to the sovereign God of heaven and earth who rules over all things and has full control, that you give your life to him and to obey him in complete faith and serve him faithfully. Turn away from a life of sin and selfishness and to follow him with all of your heart. We help you do that. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?